As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Your online home for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is thisisbracketracing.com. Find the latest episodes, the complete archives, and tons of additional racing-related resources on thisisbracketracing.com today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. It's time for the big interview. On the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, joined now by Wes May. I don't think Wes needs any introduction for those of you listening to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Mr. Everything, specifically Mr. Everything in a door car for probably, if we're being honest, probably the better part of the last decade. Wes, uh, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, man. I appreciate you. Okay. There's a bunch of different directions I want to go here. I think uh, this will be super interesting. For me, it's something that I've wanted to do because we've known each other for a long time, but I don't feel like we've ever really had much in-depth conversation. So as soon as we put this on on the calendar, like I've been super fired up to do it. Let's start at the beginning. I know that you're a, a second generation racer, at least second generation. Take me back to your first racing memory. My first racing memory, well, obviously my dad's done it all his life. He started when he was 13, so I kind of, you know, obviously got into it. And the same as you, you know, we're out there all the time in the garage. And I wasn't one, I mean, I'd go out and play with buddies, but I was more intrigued with, you know, what's dad doing in the garage? You know, he's in there practicing, he's in there tuning on the car. And I was that kid that 
if dad was on the practice tree and did 200 hits when he got done, it was like, okay, are you done? Yeah, everything's good. Okay, well, I want to, I want to do it. And that was from the age of, oh my gosh, 10, 11, 12. I mean, just, I would sit out, he would come out at like one or two in the morning and be like, what are you doing? I'm practicing. He's like, okay, whatever. So I just want to make sure you didn't burn the garage down. I'm like, everything's good. You know, I'm, I'll be in in a minute. Okay. So uh, at the age, uh, my first pass was 14 years old. We had a hundred and, I don't know, 165, 170 inch dragster that we had built, sprung in the middle, which, you know, nobody at that time was doing anything like that. Small block, we was at Tri-State and he went up and said, hey, you know, if I sign the waiver, can he make a pass? And they're like, yeah, he can make a pass. So whether he told me that part right, I don't know. But I'm 14. I've got a cast on my right arm. I had broke my hand and he's like, well, you can still hold on. You know, you can let go of the button and you can hold on to the steering wheel. Okay. So I did my first burnout backed up. I'm like, man, this is, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. This is it. I let go of my first pass. I'm double Oh four. I'm like, man, this is easy. So we went and, uh, he said, okay, you know, it's good. You know, go out three 30 and lift. So I went out three 30 and lifted. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is easy. Now, we how did, fast was that car at the time? We did put it in high gear. So at that time, that car would go like six O's at 118 or something like that. So it left soft. So I was like, okay, you know, let me make, let me make another pass. And he's like, okay, just, you know, wherever you're comfortable, just, you know, go like 400 feet, somewhere in that area and just lift. I'm like, okay, dad. So I pull up there, do my burnout, back up. I put one bulb on. I'm getting ready to stage. And the starter walks over and says, you got to shut your shield. I'm like, I ain't practiced like this. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I shut my shield. I go in, I set the button. Well, when I set my button, I exhale my breath. Well, guess what? It fogged up and I couldn't see nothing. To see. A flash came on and I let go. I was like 60 something. I went 695 or something. And I thought my second pass in the car. And that's you know where most of my racing has been is in the high six second range. A couple of weeks later, we were at Muncie and we actually had broke that motor. It broke a crankshaft. We put the spare in. It ran like 590s or something. And he said, uh, if you want to make the first practice run, I'll let you make the first practice run. Whoever has best light gets raced tonight. I'm like, oh, wow, really? He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Whoever has best light gets the race. I said, okay. So we're in low gear and it runs like 580s, 590s in that area. I let go, go down through there. And he's like, you know, just lift. If you don't feel comfortable, whatever, I make the whole, full pass. And he said, I was a nervous wreck. You know, I, I can't believe that you made that. And I'm like, that thing, I mean, it drove itself. You know, I was good. Everything was fine. I went 591 and we was, I was 24 or something on the tree. Well, dad was 10 and, you know, I got beat. So he got to race it that night. But that was my first memories. My Regal was actually my, a lot of people don't know this. My Regal is my first car. I sold two scooters and went one block over and bought my car for $500. So then it started from there. That's, That's awesome. Crazy. So what time frame is that when you first purchased it? That would have been, let's see, I would have been 15. So, oh my gosh, I got to go back. I'm 37. So 22 years ago now. Yeah. How long from there till that actually hit the track? I got my license. And when I got my license, I was racing within the next two weeks. So was it like your daily driver in high school? Absolutely. Or? Yep. I drove it every day. It was my first car. I drove to high school and uh, raced it on the weekends. It was, that's been my baby. So at what point did it transition into a, a full-time race car? I got my license. So I've been 16. So 21. So that'd been 98. I got my license for 99, right at 2000. I believe it was. 
which I've got a crazy story on that. Okay, well, let's hear it. <laughs> so I'm driving to the track. Everything's been great. So I'm stepping up. I've won enough money. I bought me a half-ton extended cab Chevy truck. Dad has pulled with a tow dolly. Back the car on the dolly backwards. Cruise down the road. His pull's great. You know, this is easy. Back my car on there, go down the road. Okay. Get my money saved up. Get a tow dolly. Got my truck. It's like, okay, this is a good deal. We're going to go, you know, I better test this out. So we're like, okay, let's go get on the interstate. Let's go a couple, you know, exits and make sure everything's good. We get on 465 for us. And I get up to 55 mile an hour. And the Regal is trying to drive beside us. I didn't know that when you have biased high front tires on a car and it's set up super loose, like that car liked to be, you know, to work, it started corner to corner stuff. And next thing I know, I look over and the Regal is 90 degrees from us in the other lanes. The first thing he says, floor it. So I, okay, that says floor it, floor it. I floor it. It's not pulling out of it. And he's like, set the brakes. You got it. We got, I mean, both hands on the wheel. It has got us all over the road. It slows down, and I said, well, that's it. I'm driving this thing to the track for the rest of his life. I'm never driving. I'm not pulling it on a trailer. I'm not doing that. Wow. We got both got off the exit. And it, was, it was death-defying, let me tell you. It was <laughs> – I thought my new truck was going down with my car wrapped around it. So <laughs> Now, you know, looking back, you know, like you said, 22 years later, I was actually – this was a question I had in mind for you because outside of like your father's station wagon, I don't know that I've even seen you in another car. Has there ever been another race car that you owned or has it been Regal every step of the way? My own car, Regal, is all I've ever raced. Right. Now, my dad had a Vega wagon, a red Vega wagon that we built right around when I was 15, just getting ready to turn 16. I did race that at Muncie. Actually, our first night, we doubled and I got to three cars. We, we were both at three cars. And I'm like, this is, you know, the perfect scenario. And it was one of those, I got my first pass out of the way. And then it was like, I'm sitting in the garage at the practice tree. And I was just killing it. I'm like 10, 12, somewhere in that area. Jeremy York, triple zero, like dead on with a low number. I'm like, well, that, that killed that little deal. But that ended up getting him in the finals. So that was okay. But yeah, it was a red Vega wagon. It was like six, it went 10 teen, 640 area. A funny story on that. So that car left really good. I mean, wheels up almost to 60 feet. So we left at 3,000 chip with me, and he left at like 3,800. Well, 3,800, it'd go out, you know, to 60 feet and land. 3,000, it'd pick off a little bit and go out, you know, just so I got used to it. But he said, well, it's not as consistent at 3,000, you know. You're just going to have to leave at 3,800, and both of us, and you're just going to have to deal with it leaving. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, I got some passes under me. Well, that first night we pull in Muncie, once a month, they go a quarter mile. So not only are we 3,800 leaving, but I get to, we're going quarter mile. We're going to go in, you know, 10 team at 130 something, the first hit. I'm like, I'm not really feeling real easy on this. Well, dad said when he looked in the car, my hand was on the button shaking so bad. He's like, he's, this is not going to work out. This is just not going to work. And I'm shaking like crazy and I let go and leave and you get that first pass out and I was good. So, but it was, it was funny. That was all the same night. Hard And I got to go quarter mile. Come on. <laughs> this was all the same night that you were just talking about yeah and this is i assume this is in your mid-teens yes i'm 15 yep, yep. <laughs> okay let's go back to the regal obviously it, it starts life as your daily driver i know oh. just because i don't know that we met i think we ran in a 10 tech final in like mid 2000s 05 06 yep. and just since then i know that that car has taken on a lot of different 
reincarnations. Like I think it still had small tires on it then, if I'm not yep, mistaken. It did. Yep, it um, did. So I've seen the, the, the changes and progress in that. Take me all the way back to, you know, you're 15 years old to what it is now. Yep. We built a little 355 Ford Street Motor and it run. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember. I've got some tickets from it. I think it was like 1440s, 1450 area or something like that. And just little stuff. It, it actually, the first motor, it start, It was one of those, we had probably two, $300 in it. And it was, I drive it to school all week. And when it started smoking, I changed the non-oil fowler on the back plug. When I got to the track, I put a new plug and the oil fowler in and we raced and it was good. That's what I had. Whatever little money I made, we put aside and, you know, started building a, a you know, a better engine for it. But I was always doing little piddly things, either carburetor, intake, my biggest one. We actually went to Bunker Hill one day and uh, Pro was eight ninety nine. Well, it ran like nine O's, nine teens most of the time. So I couldn't go to, I wouldn't go to Bunker because I wasn't just going to run street. I'd go to Muncie and I could run, you know, Pro. At Raceway Park, I did run street. Brown County was the one that we went almost every week. That was our little track. That's where I got my first win at in the Regal. So we go to Bunker and it's eight ninety nine break. Well, it's hot. That week I took the flex fan off of it and put me two big electric fans on. Everybody's like, it's going to pick it up. I get in street. I go down through there, make my first hit, eight ninety seven. Dad goes, where are you going? Going to the front gate. I'm getting in pro. I made the break. That's all that matters. So we did a 383 for the car, which actually is a big basis of what the car is now. I mean, you could go drive it on the street until this past year. I did make a change that you'd probably have to run some a little bit better gas in it. Before, you could run pump gas in it and drive it around. Right. Um, Dana 60 rear end, and then uh, we took, that was in 2000, so right around 2001 area. We did the 383, put a 12-volt in it actually at that point in time. Six, you know, it had the six-point cage in it. Of course, Dad does all the chassis work and all that kind of stuff. And then each year, it was just a little bit. It was control arms. We took the turbo 350s out of the car, put power glides in. For at that point in time, that was reaction because we were still, you remember, we were still on incandescence. And it was, that car was horrible for cutting a reaction time, it, you know, when and I was no box most of the time. So in, oh, let's see, that would have been 2003. First year I said, heck with it. I've got the glide in it. I'm putting the box in. And if I'm going to win something, I'm going to win something. So I put the delay box in 2003 to run Super Pro. I run the points at Raceway Park and I did win the points Super Pro out there. I won my first 10 grander at Bowling Green. I think it was in July, that Saturday or whatever, in 2003. 2005, had the car painted, which obviously you, you remember the old green and primer front end, got it painted. And then 2006, we took and back halved it and, you know, put the rest of the cage and stuff in it and all that kind of stuff. And that's the, just little things over the years, but mostly from 06 to now, it's not changed a ton, but just little things. And then just recently, within the last year or two, you actually stepped up the program power-wise. Like that was, you were always 680, 690 range. Now you're right. 40s. Right. Yes, it's 40s and 50s area. Actually, what that was is my car was super finicky on, you know, where your temperature was and how it was. Of course, everybody's seen, oh, it's dead on every single pass. Well, they don't see every single pass. They don't see the drivers in there, you know, ripping it or you go to this track and it moves two or three hundredths and you're like, I don't like this. I don't like this. So that's what I, call, I actually called Vic Ellinger at uh, Wiseco, which we have a deal with. 
said, you know, I want to bump the compression up a little bit. We got, the car was probably nine to one compression. I mean, it was low. Everybody says that won't work with alcohol. It will, but you have to have somebody OCD in the driver's seat to make it work. Let's just put it that way. So we bumped the compression up a little bit and it livened it up a ton. And so it did what I wanted it to do. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And to your point, like everybody sees the string of dead on runs and like, why would you ever change a combination like that? Well, specific to your pursuit, like that's one step along the way of a 20 year progression, right? You're just going to continue progressing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to that end, because my perspective, at least of what you and your dad do, like it feels like the vast majority, if not everything that you do, like happens in your shop. I know you guys do all the chassis work. You're obviously building carburetors. Now we'll get more into that business aspect of it later, but I get the impression that you're extremely hands-on. Is there much that gets outsourced at all? Nice does our engines and FTI, obviously without those guys, I don't know where we would be because they've helped leaped and bounds for us. Elaine shocks, Matt Cook, you know, Matt, He's one of the absolute best that's ever came, you know, to hook up with. Other than that, no, it's everything us. I mean, four link changes, you know, carburetor stuff, shift points, transmission. I mean, we just, it's, it's always just, can I get it a little bit better? Can I get it a little bit better? And obviously, you know this, it's, we've been doing that almost that same combination. Shoot, that's been, like I said, 2001 it, until this past year, it's been darn near the exact same. I mean, it's not, it's not changed a whole lot freshen everything up and just try little things, you know, hope you don't get too far off base. If we put together a resume or a list of accomplishments on your on-track successes, it's a mile long with a a ton of big ones. I'm curious, and and, I mean, your 2015 season, it seemed like every weekend, every time we we turn the page, you're in a $10,000 final, a $20,000 final, a $50,000 final, whatever the case may be. I'm curious from your perspective, and maybe this isn't even a, a specific race. Maybe it's just round. It's a, it's a feeling. Like, is there one that stands out maybe when you got done with a day or a round and said, wow, like, it's really cool how all of this has come together. Maybe your biggest accomplishment or that moment where you just said, holy, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm figuring this stuff out. Right. I can't put it on. I... I will say that the first 10 tuck that I won in, in 03, that was one of those things you just like dreamed about. Like I'm going to win a 10 dreamer and I know I can do it. And my car was just absolutely on and I was killing the tree and I'm just pulling up there. And let me say in that, in that year, first year on the top, for some reason, and I'll probably jinx myself right now, and, but I would go along and be killer and then I would flinch. So I was thinking, just don't do something stupid up here, please, you know, get your mind in the game where you're supposed to be and just get your thing done. You know, you can do it. That first one, when that wind light came on, it was, that was unbelievable. Un- absolutely unbelievable. So you talked a little bit about your dad and we talked about how you guys are so hands-on and, and his uh, racing background. The one that, that, jumped out to me when I was doing a little bit of research for, for and, and just thinking through what I wanted to touch on in this conversation. I don't know if it's, it's funny now because our perspective is so jaded that a 50 grander, like they happen every other weekend. You know what I mean? I, it almost doesn't seem like as big a deal now, which is ridiculous. You know, it's just bizarre. But particular to when this happened, I mean, there was like five or six of those events a year. 
And then in back-to-back years at the Ultimate 64, which I don't know if that's the biggest event in your area. I bet it might, it might have been the richest at the time. Um, yeah, it was. Your dad wins the $50,000 main event in 2011, I believe it was. You come back the very next year and win it in 2012. Just walk me through that and just how cool a feeling was that to go back-to-back with your old man? That deal was actually I won it in 11 and he won it in 12. So 2011, we are at Edgewater. And we got a ton of passes at that track and everything is like, you know, this is where we want it to be. We want everything this way. At that point in time, we were transitioning to FTI. So we were kind of fighting something that a car that has not been the greatest. And then Edgewater had a ton of rain. And you remember from this year, because I actually ran you in that 2011 year, they had a ton of timing system problems. And we ended up running that race on Sunday instead of Saturday. Yes, I really um, remember that. It, and it was, was like, like five different events got run on Sunday, like just a oh, complete yeah. marathon. Okay. Yeah, yep. And to start it out, we get we get our time run. And the days prior, I'm running 696, 698 area, right in that, you know, the high 690s, right where the car's been. It cools off, the rain came through. We're like, okay, you know, the car's going to be a little bit quick in the morning. You know, you're always thinking the dial. Okay, I'd dial it at 94. I go out and go like 88.8. I'm like, I come back, dad's like, you know, what, what happened? I don't know. Everybody's like, why is it so fast for? I'm like, it's just, I, I don't know if I've got it too rich or, you know, the, the, and it ended up being the converter combination of what we had tried just was when you got a low horsepower car for our situation, we tried a Spragless from a different company and it was not working for us. So I'm like, you're just gonna have to get up on the wheel here. So that was one of the days, actually my car didn't, I mean, normally it's, She's my go-to. She helps me. I mean, she gets me down through there and we get wins, but that day was not. We started rolling through the rounds, got through the rounds, and when that final win light come on, it was like you almost didn't believe it. You finally win the 50 grander. This is awesome. So fast forward to the next year. Dad had been struggling on the tree. He's out in the – and he is one. He's out in the garage. I'm talking 10, 12 hours a day. It might be on and off the practice tree, and he's like, I don't think it's me. I don't think it's me. I said, I am changing transmissions. We have got a problem somewhere. And, you know, that's what the deal is. He said, I don't think that's what it is. Okay. Well, everybody knows older men get hard-headed. So when he went in, I went ahead and pulled the transmission converter out of the car, put a new transmission converter in it. And we went to Play City on Friday. And he won the 12-grander 64 shootout Friday night. And then came back and won the 50 grander on Saturday. And so, you know, back to back years, as much effort and stuff as we put in that stuff, it was just unsurreal that father, son get to do it back to back years, let alone, you know, at that time, whoever was driving best, that's who we put in because we didn't have the money to put both of us in there at $1,500 a hit. It was like, okay, you're driving better. Don't screw this up. You know, we got both of our money in this thing and, and that's how we went about it. So. He pulled her through and he did, he did a heck of a job. So that was awesome. Did he know about the transmission? Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't come (laughs) in that night and he was like, Hey, what are you doing out here? I'm like, what are you doing in my car? I'm like, I told you I'm changing it. You don't want to listen. I'm going to prove it. And we're going to go from there. So. And just what you've said and what I've kind of just witnessed from afar, it seems like your father has a, has has probably always had a level of intensity and commitment um, to what he's doing. And obviously that's rubbed off in some form to you. Absolutely. 
let's talk family in general because obviously racing has always been a family affair, probably more so now. Your wife races. Absolutely. You got it going from both angles. So like do you think that you would have the same passion and drive for this if, if you weren't constantly surrounded by it basically your entire life? No, absolutely I don't think I would. Because this sport, it definitely takes somebody passionate and I mean, you got to put a lot of effort into it. There's some people that, you know, they can not put the effort into it. It shows reward for them, but it doesn't show it for them all the time. Just like, you know, a lot of people say, I'd rather be lucky than good. Absolutely, luck is a, is a big factor of what we do. But if you prepare and you do the homework and your vehicle and you are to the top notch, you will make your own luck. They will overcome the luck side, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I agree completely. And then being surrounded by not only that level of commitment, but I think maybe more specifically in marriage, like there's an understanding there. Like you, yes. there's a little bit better understanding of why it is you do what you do and why you're so driven about it. Absolutely. Okay, let's switch gears just a little bit because we touched on it just barely. But what you're doing with, let me get the name right. It's May Racing Carbs. May Race Carbs, yep. May Race Carbs, okay. It seems like, now I assume you've been doing this in your garage for probably since you were 16 years old to, to some level, but it seems like this just jumped on the scene within the last couple of years. And now you guys are everywhere that I look, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say like the premier car manufacturer or rebuilder, or however you frame it in, in sports and drag racing, but definitely prominent, right? So right. take me through what, what from afar looks like this amazing, quick, overnight success or growth, however you want to put it. We've always messed with them. Obviously, me and dad just on our own stuff. I have had every, probably just about every carburetor on my car or his car at one point in time. You take them apart and you dissect them. What makes this carburetor do this? What makes that carburetor do that? In mid-2000 area, in that, in that late area, I got a hold of a gentleman by the name of Jerry Dooley. Is it Jerry Dooley? Yes, that worked for APD. Yep, I knew Jerry well. Yep. We actually purchased a couple APDs at that point in time. We bought two, and they weren't the greatest. But I called Jerry, and I told him, you know, what was going on, what we did, how we did it. And I talked to that. He, if I didn't call him Monday morning or Monday or any, you know, any time in that afternoon, he would call me. What'd you do this weekend? What'd you change? You know, what's going on? And for a long time, he taught me a ton about, you know, what to look for, what to do, you know, trends and stuff like that. And, you know, they didn't end up working out at that point in time, but he was just, he taught me more than probably anyone, you know, besides taking them apart and figuring out what they are doing or why they are doing that. Because nobody had a 383, you know, motor that you could drive on a street with low compression out there you know it, you had to figure stuff out on your own and that's he said man i'd love to go to racetrack with you guys and i go why and he goes because nobody's willing to change anything he goes you guys are changing it second and third round and we did it you if it wasn't any good you weren't going to win so you know hey get up on the wheel and we're going to change something if it picks it up and it likes it it's good if it doesn't well you better uh, hope that you spray or know that you're good up front to make it up so in April of, let's see, this is 19, 18, in April of 2017, I had done some carburetors for some other people. Had had some people say, oh, you know, you're just a jet changer, blah, 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 blah. 
okay. That's, you know, that's all a carburetor is, is jets from the top to the bottom. So whatever you want to say. So I put some out there, customers won, and I got quite a few carburetors off of it. So actually my brother-in-law, Justin Daniels, said, let me make a Facebook and just get this thing rolling. Um, he set that Facebook up and it has been absolute gangbusters ever since. Blessed is an understatement, obviously, because they have been coming in by the swarms and you get the carburetors on the right vehicles and even take care of the guys that, you know, they've got problems and, you know, just really take care of them. I think some of the carburetor manufacturers just with getting bigger, lose some of that touch, which I don't want to do that. I don't want to ever do that. You know, you got to be hands on with them. Like, you know, I tell them and you can ask every one of the customers, get the carburetor. How's it do? You know, what's it doing? Let's get this, you know, worked out. Okay. Everything's great. It sounds good. Okay. I'll be waiting for the winter circle picture. And that's what I tell all of them. You know, I want to see those winter circle pictures come in more than anything that just brightens my weekend. So what, uh, and in the business, I mean, do you have help at this point? Is it just you? Is it you and Justin? How's that work? It is just me and Justin right now. Uh, he disassembles a lot of like the used carburetors and stuff for me, cleans them up, preps the bowls, metering blocks and stuff. And then I'm the final assembly person on everything. I have to, you know, have my hands in that part. And I mean, obviously as we grow, I would love to see it, you know, blooming to uh, obviously an everyday and, uh, and a career. So I love racing and I've always been passionate about it. Everybody knows that. So along those lines that's a great transition into what is probably the most the most interesting topic that i've got for you because like i say you guys are going like gangbusters in the business two-man show and like i say you're hands-on in every aspect of it Um, you still got your full-time job yes you're uh married raising a young family yes uh you're you're taking two hours out of your day or an hour out of your day to talk to me here on the podcast like how do you manage it all like how do you how do you balance everything it is very tough and you and I have the most understanding wife in the whole world because it takes it takes a lot it absolutely does because uh, you know my normal day job I've been here it'll be 18 years this year actually I'm in I sell uh, plumbing and HVAC outside sales so I've got a flexible schedule which is nice Um, you know there's nights that you can work and do your stuff at night and you know not have to work get up as early or if you do, you know, you can make it a little bit earlier day and, and get onto the carburetor stuff. Winter time, usually that was getting all our cars ready. Well, now our winter time is doing carburetors. And most of that was, you know, Justin will come over Friday night and, you know, we'll do stuff Friday night, go to sleep for a couple hours, wake up Saturday morning, work all Saturday till, you know, midnight, one or two o'clock on Sunday morning. And then he rolls home and we get as much done as we possibly can. So. It's tough, but like I said, without my wife, yeah. And I don't want to miss that little that time with my my little girl, obviously. So it's that's tough. But I've been getting her out in the garage. See, now she likes to come out in the garage work with dad. So she's out there all the time with me. You take her in, nope, she ain't happy. So she's got to be fun one with carb parts out there, just like me. So how cool is that to flip it? Because I mean, we started this conversation talking about you being out there with your dad, right? Yep, it's awesome. It absolutely, I love it. Yeah, no, I, I can empathize all the way through. And like I say, you just don't want to miss those moments and finding that balance is, 
maybe the toughest thing in life, at least at our stage of life. So absolutely is for me right now, because, uh, the, my day job is we are booming and the carburetor stuff is booming and I'm a racer. And you know, when you tell somebody, you know, four to six weeks or eight weeks on a carburetor, you're like, they're not going to go with me. And they'll go, Nope, I want it. I'm like, okay, that's great. Now I got to make sure that, you know, I get that done. And there has been quite a few of them that have been way longer than what they're supposed to, but they've been very understanding. And like I said, that's where the blessed part comes in because they know, they understand what's going on, you know, and I appreciate that. So how has business like life in general, how has it, or even has it affected your, maybe not necessarily your racing program? Cause obviously you're still having immense success, but has it changed your schedule or your focus at all? Yes. Yeah. In what yep. way? Uh, less, well, you know, right now, being a, with a young baby for us and my wife, you know, her parents uh, own Muncie Dragway. So she is, you know, she helps out quite a bit with them. So we're like last year, we were more on the local stuff. I didn't run as much big stuff as I, you know, for me, it used to be 95%, you know, five grand and above. And, you know, this last year we scaled that back some because you take two people running the same class and go to a track with a one-year-old, you know, as well as I do, you cannot tell anybody. You cannot like pre-warn them of how that's going to be because you don't know what she is going to think she wants to do at that point in time. And if she wants to do it in the middle of the round, you know, if she wants to go to sleep, then that's great. And then it's, you know, so we have help. That's, you know, we got to keep ourselves based around that to make sure that, you know, we've got help watching out for her so until i can strap a uh, baby seat in the race car Haley won't let me do that yet so <laughs> yeah no that to keep any semblance of sanity yeah you need, you need help i'm with you i'm curious too uh the, as the business side of it grows how much more difficult is it at the racetrack I, I would just assume you get pulled in multiple directions and you have to just find a little bit of time to compartmentalize your own racing is that is that fair yes. Absolutely. Which there's been quite a few races, you know, like her parents will be there or, you know, friends and they're like, man, they didn't even let you get out of the car. I mean, you were stepping out of the car and I may, you know, I'm processing it. I make notes on my tickets, you know, okay, this is how this run went. This is what I thought it was. This is what the car should have ran. That way, when you go to go back for next round, you got your notes and you're ready. And they're like, hey, you know, the, the car ran off a hundredth or two, or it's doing this or it's doing that. And it's, I just got to look back as, you know, people look at stuff differently and that, you know, that could be me in that situation and saying, you know, you've got a problem. Try to, you know, work through it and, and get with them on that. So, but yes, it is a totally different scenario because everyone you put out at the track, you know, there's can be good and bad with every one of them. So. Yeah, no, I, I see it a little bit in what I do now, like within this is bracket racing and this is bracket racing elite, but not to that extreme that I think what really opened my eyes to it, and there's a little bit of story time on my end, but I remember at one time and I'll just, I'll use Gary Stinnett as an example. And I don't want to say this in any type of way that gets misconstrued, but Gary is now I know him, I don't feel this way, but for the longest time, I was like, he's almost unapproachable at the racetrack. You know what I mean? Like he's very, very intense. And it's just like, he don't want to mess with anybody. And then 
I went to work at Huntsville Engine. For, I was only there for two years, you know, right out of college. And it was just, if you don't set the, some type of boundary, it was like, I had somebody, I was, I had the oil pan off of somebody's car and was under it every weekend. You know I mean? It just right. doesn't stop. And, right. and then I was like, that's why Gary's the way that Gary is. You know I mean? He, he'll help his customers and focus on that, but you've got to draw the line somewhere or you have no business being at the racetrack yourself racing, or you don't get any sleep or a combination of the two. So like, it is a very hard, difficult line to walk. It absolutely is. And when I, the so that had been 17 and they came out and you know everybody it was towards the end of the year i was at huntsville and and it's funny todd ewing comes walking through and he goes so bub what do you think i go think about what and he goes totally different aspect isn't it and i said it absolutely is and he goes you'll see all the good and the bad and he goes i'm just you know and he's true you do see all the good and the bad you know did it run off okay you got to stop and think you know can it be the engine? Can it be the transmission? Can it be the tires? And a lot of times, you know, hey, send me those tickets. Let me help you out. You know, let me see what's going on here. It might not always be that, but it's a it's a different world because the more you get out there, you know, the more you're going to have questions, period. That's what it is. Yeah, no doubt. It's funny you bring up Todd. He and I have had that conversation several times, as you might imagine. <laughs> okay, so let me wrap this up again. Thank you for your time. If, there, if there's anything that you wanted to get in here, anything that you wanted to, uh, to pass along or, um, you know, people or, or companies that help you out, like I'll, I want to give you the platform to do that if there's anything that you want to add. So I'll give you that opportunity and then we're going to go into rapid fire. Like, you know, what's coming. Okay. You I know what's coming. Yep. So yeah, so we're going to have a little bit of fun there, but let me switch the, give you the stage, so to speak, if there's anything that, that you want to, any point that you want to get across to our audience. First and foremost, you got to have uh, that wife that's backing you 100% because um, that makes life a lot simpler. Without her, I don't know what I would do. You know, she's been uh, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me, and then uh, obviously giving me my little girl. So that was one of the major, major things for the racing program. Obviously, you know, without my dad starting me into all this uh, stuff, I would not be anywhere close to where I am today. You know, he's given me that drive and that passion to never give up. That's what that is. You know, whether it be good or bad, sometimes never give up. The car side, FTI has made huge improvements in our program. The converter side, guys don't realize, but I'm not just saying it because I'm a carburetor guy. Carburetor and converter are two big parts to a race car to make them good. I mean, they're only as good as the tuner. But those are two key parts. Pat at Nye's Racing Engines in Muncie, Indiana, um, the old Regal, you change the plugs in her, you know, every 150 passes, give her an oil change about 60 passes, and she just keeps on clicking off tickets like there's no tomorrow. So uh, we, I've been with him for, oh my gosh, eight or nine years now, I think. And he is, he's not let us down. Absolutely. You know, we don't have nothing fast. But you know what? When you put five, six hundred passes on a car in a year, you got to have something reliable. He make he makes that happen. Matt Cook, and with Olean shocks, I had some strange shocks on the back of my car, and I thought it's a six eighty car. You don't need good shocks. It's not going to make any difference. You know, I, I don't need those. And you keep on talking, and I called and talked to him, and honestly, I seen that you posted stuff about him all the time, and I thought, you know what? You want to be the best. You got to have the best stuff. I called him and he's like, okay, I'll work with you. And, you know, let's, let's put them on. And I will say when 
I put those shocks on. If a car goes out, you know, and goes six eighties and it moves eight or nine thousandths and sixty foot, guys are like, I am ecstatic. This is a whole night. I this is great, which you know I was, but it would go two or three passes and it might pick up five or six or seven thousandths in one hit. You can't do that. I mean, if it does and it's understandable, that's fine, but it cannot do that. And I we put the Olean shocks on the back and it absolutely closed that gap up. Like I'm amazed because there's a lot of stuff you buy in racing and you put it on and you're like, oh yeah, it's better. No, it I mean if you look at it, it's like, well, maybe on good days it is, but they changed it absolutely, you know, over the board. It was one of those things that could not do without. So um I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. I think that's it. I'm probably get forgetting somebody, but you know, hey, that, that's what we're going. Vic with Wiseco, I did talk about him earlier. I can call him, bounce some stuff off of him, and he's like, "You sure you want to do that?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "What's your reasoning?" He had to know the reasoning. I'm like, "He's like, okay, if that's what you want to do, you know, let's. This is what we're gonna do. Okay, let's do it." I told him, you know, the differences, and after running it for a year, he's like, "Well, you know, was it worth it?" I'm like, "Absolutely." He's like. Okay, you proved your point. <laughs> it's cool to kind of see your mindset come through in that because I feel like to a large extent I'm the same way with, with how hands-on you've been your whole career. Like you're not looking for a manufacturer to sell you a part. Like you're looking for people to collaborate with. And that seems like what you've established in those relationships. Absolutely. And just that mindset of like, yeah, this is good. How can we take the next step and make it a little bit better? And it's Absolutely. just – in your case, specific to, you know, basically one car, I don't want to say one combination because obviously it evolves, but that process, just that cycle over and over and over for two decades is, yep. what, you know, a big part at least of what's made you as successful as you've been. It's cool to hear it from that standpoint. And a little funny one on the side with, uh, with Matt at Dixie and, and Olean's. I don't know that I shared this story. I think I had it in one of my blogs or something like that, but I had always said, like, I was the same way when I put one of their shocks on my dragster back 10 plus years ago. It was like night and day. Like, oh, my God. And I, and I attributed it to we put so much emphasis or, or so much burden on one single shock in that application. Like, we ask it to do a lot. You're like, you need a good yep. shot. And uh, I told everybody, I'm like, well, if you got two shocks, you can go with their, it's the, their LMP series. They're, you know, middle of the road, which is still probably better than 95% of the shots out there, right? Absolutely. But it's not yep. the cat daddy Owens. And that's even what I ran on my Corvette. So as I'm putting the Vega back together, I called Matt and I'm like, yeah, it's got two shots on it. It's not have a ton of power. Like I just want the LMP, right? He's like, well, Wes runs the, the TTX, which is the cat daddy. And I'm like, damn it, Wes. Like if that's what Wes runs, that's what I got to have. So I hear I got a $2,500 <laughs> set of shocks on my Vegas. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right into uh into rapid fire so for if you're new to the podcast this is just we do a little bit of fun it's short answer quick question quick answer not always typically racing related i've got one in here that i don't really like because i feel like i almost needed to give you a heads up on it but we'll go right into it uh, west day's biggest addiction drag racing <laughs> that one was easy <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite racetrack and this may be based upon success or just feel of a facility oh my gosh you say that there for the longest time i loved bowling green but i will have to say that um huntsville is is i mean i can 
I mean, there was a couple years. I don't, I don't think I pulled in there without either winning or doing really well. I mean, it was just like, that's my place. Now, neatest like little small track I've ever been to. I'll throw that in there. You know about this, Jeff Rucks, Sand Mountain. Back, you know, just it was just cool. That was, I loved going there. Yeah, I went there twice, and it was neat. That place is special, and if you've never. Funny story on one of those. So Huntsville had two tens. They had a 10 Saturday, 10 Sunday. This is when they first started doing their tens. So I'm rolling down there on Friday. You know, I'm going to get rolling and I start looking. I'm like, hey, we went to the door car race down there earlier in the year. I'm like, they've got a Friday night deal. And I look it up and it says guaranteed $1,000. And I'm like, shoot, I'm going to make it. So I, I text Jeff on, you know, on Facebook. I'm like, you know, hey, what, when's the start time? You know, what's going on? Oh, if you get here by then, you'll make it. And I'm like, wow. And I hit traffic and I'm not sure, you know, it's going to be close. He's like, you get here and, and, and I'll get you a pass. And I said, okay. I get, I come rolling in. I go through the gate. This is the, the funniest thing ever. So he, the guy's sitting on the picnic table and he's like, you're here to race? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, what, what class you want? And I said, box. And he said, okay. He said, well, they're, they're running the last practice run right now. And I said, yeah, we're good. You know, if I got to, I'll just buy back first round, whatever. He's like, okay, well, you know, it's 50 bucks or whatever. Okay. So I roll through and Jeff gets the radio call. Hey, uh, I don't know if this boy's lost or not, but his tag on his motorhome says Indiana. He knows this is just a local Friday night race, right? Jeff said, oh yeah, yeah. He's coming down for Huntsville. He wanted to race tonight. So, you know, he's coming on in. So, but that, that night actually worked out really well. I won that night and it, it went on and it was pretty cool. So, yeah. I'm a huge Sand Mountain Dragway fan. When I lived in Alabama, that was my closest track. I was probably 20, 25 minutes from that place. Have you ever raced down a narrower racing facility than Sand Mountain? Oh, absolutely not. No. <laughs> my, my 680, let's see, you're on the mountain. So I was like high, you know, everybody, every place else I was high 70s. I was mid 80s. I felt like I was running five O's that first pass I made down through there. I'm like, wow. I, I usually always go down through there and look, but the very first time we went down there, they had the test and tune that night. I look down there and I'm like, okay, yeah, I see the first turn off, second turn off. Yeah, we're good. So I go through 685 or whatever, man, I'm on the brakes. Cause I think it's short. This baby is short. I make the first turn off. I get off the track. I look and the guy turns off the other end. I'm like, I'm going to ride down there on the golf cart. Cause I should have went and looked just to know your surroundings. I'm like, well, heck, this place has got three turnoffs. We got tons of shutdown. I made the first one. What was I doing? Yeah, no, it's narrow. And talking about judging somebody, when they pull a wheel up on you, I mean, you can reach over and open the door if you wanted to. <laughs> no doubt. I never thought about it when I was the, the faster car, the slower car by a bunch, but right. like on a side-by-side, -side, almost heads-up run, <laughs> it's almost jarring how close yes. they are to you. Yes. So. Yeah, you're like looking over like, this guy is, you know, this, if anybody moves over any at all, it's like, okay, move back over, dude. I, I don't want to touch down here. At the <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's literally, I think Wes will back me up on this. It's like racing down the two lane road in front of my house. Like it absolutely, is absolutely. So, but cool. like for consistency wise, that first time I went down, it was like, I was no worse than 15 and my car was killer. I won two rounds that they had two five randers. I was like, man, these guys know how to race down here. And I mean, they did. It was like double O and dead on city. I was like, man, they were beating me to death. It is a really <laughs> tough place to race. Or it was when I was down there because it was the same group of guys like every Friday night. Yes. 
they didn't race many, many other places, but they knew exactly what they needed in the box. I mean, to your point, I lived there for five or six years and I it's not like I was there every Friday night, but it was pretty regular. And I had a lot of success in their bottom bulb class, but I think I won super pro like twice in like five yeah. or six years. I mean, they're, they're for real. They wore us out. The, the door car rate, the two five grand door car races they had down there. I was, it was like thir- I, no worse than 13 or 14 at the tree. And I was no farther than one off dumping. And I won two rounds in like four race or three races or something like that. <laughs> I had redemption. I had to go back and I had to get, I had to get redemption. So I got uh, the Friday night win. That's all I can say. Hey, it, whatever works. <laughs> Back to the rapid fire. One word to describe your technical or computer related abilities. Oh my gosh. Not the greatest. <laughs> I'm not the greatest at a computer. I can tell you that. Uh, this is the one I wasn't sure about because I feel like I'm putting you on the spot. Best joke you've heard lately. And the reason I say that, like I could come up with something, but they're like the corny dad jokes that make my six year old laugh. Like I have no idea where you're going to go with this. So let me know if you got anything. Oh my gosh. I got one from my wife yesterday. Here, let, let me let me make sure I read it correctly. This this is funny. It says, "Husband, why do I keep buying you plants when you just end up killing them?" Obviously, that's you know Mother's Day flowers. And wife says, "Just to remind you what I'm capable of." <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty my, good. That is my latest one. <laughs> All right, and uh, last one. This is obviously realistic, but I don't even know if it's something that is like remotely on your radar as a goal. But let's say May Race Carbs takes off and you win the million three years in a row, like West May's yacht. What are you going to call it? Windex. Windex. Okay. Is there a story behind it? Cleaning up the competition just like Windex. <laughs> what better way to close that out? <laughs> Wes, man, thank you again for your time. Appreciate you coming on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I appreciate it a ton, man. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. If you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you've heard me talk about This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Our premier membership community is my baby, and it's where I spend the bulk of my days working alongside hundreds of members in their constant pursuit to become the best version of themselves on the racetrack. But did you know that thisisbracketracing.com is more than just the membership community? In fact, Every training that we share with an elite is ultimately available for individual purchase on thisisbracketracing.com. That means literally hundreds of trainings on any racing topic that you can imagine from reaction time to finish line, mental preparation to vehicle consistency, the business of drag racing to bottom bulb or super class specific competition and more, all from instructors who've lived it myself, five-time NHRA world champion Justin Lamb, two-time world champion Kevin Brannon, the best of all. 
when you visit thisisbracketracing.com for the first time, you're awarded access to one training for free. And you get to pick the topic. Yeah, whatever area you're struggling in, whatever you feel like you could use assistance with, we've got a resource designed to help you improve. Check it out today at thisisbracketracing.com. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jared Pennington. I was in my truck. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.